from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And my question today is, is Oklahoma the true Wild West of weed? Many cannabis entrepreneurs are now flocking to the state, which boasts no limits on marijuana business licenses, few restrictions on who can obtain a medical card, and cheap land, energy, and building materials. And one entrepreneur who is all in on Oklahoma is my guest, Chip Baker. And Chip is the founding partner of Greener Consulting Group, which helps new and existing cannabis businesses and municipalities and states prepare for the legal cannabis industries. His company develops policy, business strategies, build outs from the ground up. And Chip is also the owner of Cultivate Garden Supplies, a hydro store based in Colorado and in Oklahoma. And Chip's a fascinating dude. He's been growing weed since he was 13 years old in Georgia. And he has cultivated crops in some of the world's most famous marijuana hotspots from the forests of Northern Cal to the Emerald Triangle to the lake regions of Switzerland, the mountains of Colorado. And now he's in Oklahoma. And that's what I want to find out about the sort of next frontier for Chip. Welcome, Chip, to the podcast. Oh man, thanks. That was a that was a great intro. I kind of <laughs> want to meet the guy. Yeah, who is that dude? Well, I want to meet the guy too. So t- it's so funny. I'm just a stoner, but when you say it all like that, I have done. Uh, I've experienced weed all over the world, man. It's been really cool to see it grow. It really is, so to speak. And and tell us. So since you were 13, you would in Georgia. Tell us a little bit about that. You had a little. Yeah, man. Well, you know, as soon as I realized, I, I grew up in just say no to drugs era, Nancy Reagan, and I thought weed was like heroin or something. And we had seen like joints, but I didn't know exactly that it was a plant. And I know it sounds odd, but like back then it was before the information rush that we have or information access we have. And I just didn't know. And then one day I saw a sack of weed with seeds in it and I immediately knew what to do with it. And we planted those seeds within 15 minutes. And uh, yeah, there that's how it all started. <laughs> You must have enjoyed the fruits of your of your labors too, because as you said, you're a stoner as well. So, did you immediately realize that cannabis is uh, not not the devil's lettuce, and it's actually something that was helpful? And yeah, it, it took me a little while, but uh, a long time migraine sufferer, and I read where you could where it was good for migraines. And so, fourteen, fifteen, I uh, puffed a little when I was sent home from sick for a migraine. Yeah, it worked, and you know that—that's really when it clicked. That's really when it clicked. So, when did you decide to go from being a, a user of marijuana to wanting to be in the business of, of marijuana? It's a lifelong dream. I always wanted to be uh, in the cannabis industry. I didn't. We didn't call it that then. Yeah, it wasn't really an industry at that point. It was. Yeah, totally. I always wanted to be a weed grower or pot dealer. That was my job of choice. We were in high school, and they asked us what we wanted to do. I'd tell all my friends I wanted to be a weed grower or pot dealer. <laughs> what did your parents think of these aspirations? They didn't really, they weren't impressed, man. They, they, they were not impressed, Jonathan. And years later, as my mother has seen all the publicity that, that we've generated and all the businesses we've created, her opinion has changed a little bit, but she still doesn't, doesn't like that I started so young. Yeah. Well, it is amazing that you had this dream of being a weed grower and a weed 
dealer. Now that's actually a legitimate and very quite lucrative uh, legal legal business. And now it's common. And now it's common. And you know, I've met 28-year-old guys that have worked in the cannabis industry for 10 years, and they're truly becoming experts in their field, and they're not even 30 years old. They aspired to be in the cannabis industry and the cannabis business also when they were in high school and you know, maybe even younger for some of them, because it was an actual dream, something that could be attained before legalization. It was just a different world. Well, let's talk about this current world. You are calling me from Oklahoma, where the winds come sweeping down the plain. And this, you know, I know you and you have been very public about that market and how excited you are about that market. And coming from somebody like you has, you know, lived in some of the, the best, as I said in the intro, marijuana hotspots in the world. Uh, that means a lot. And give us a little overview. What is going on in Oklahoma right now? Why is it so appealing? Why could it be so appealing for entrepreneurs? Well, Oklahoma did it differently than all the rest of the states. I mean, similar to California and similar to Oakland, I mean, uh, uh, Oregon. But uh, what they did is they allowed a really simple process of getting a cannabis license to be involved in the business. So it doesn't, the cost of entry isn't that great. Right. Twenty five hundred bucks, maybe like three thousand dollars to the state, maybe as much as three thousand dollars to your county government. And you have a cannabis license. There's no other place where it's that really easy to do it. But the true thing about it is that there's only a handful of municipalities that have building and planning departments. And anyone in the cannabis industry currently knows that that's the hardest you know, thing to get through is the building and planning department of the town or the county that you're putting it in. And, and Oklahoma mostly doesn't have that. So those are the regulatory bodies that a lot of towns in, in, in other states have, right? That will, that will make your life a hell. Yeah, that's who controls it all. And they don't have that here. In Oklahoma, they also, it's a state law and all the counties have to abide by it. Where in a state like Colorado, the counties opted in or opted out. State like California, they opted in or opted out. You can't opt out here. So it's opened up the whole state as opposed to just like small areas like California and Colorado and other states that have had that opt out type scenario. So it's it's really allowed this freedom of movement. And I tell you, California, Colorado, and Oregon did a similar thing, is they allowed people to have caregiver licensing, which usually weren't taxed or you didn't pay for them and you, you know, you were supposed to give the weed away, right? And that really spawned like the small mom and pop was able to get uh, people involved in the cannabis industry that that maybe didn't have a million dollars because like that's what it costs to get involved these days a million bucks and and Oklahoma did it differently well they just like okay well anybody can get a license if you want a license you can get one it's three thousand bucks and so that that pretty much picked up all of that demographic that previously were the quote unquote caregivers or the caregiver market in Colorado and California. So it's, man, I tell you, so many preconceived notions about Oklahoma. And as I came down here, I heard them all from people. But let me tell you, they have the best system for getting a license in the country. It literally, their online portal, if you have all the information in front of you, it takes you 15 minutes to fill out the information. Now, it might take like two, three, four, five weeks or months to get all of those details in a line for you. But once you get all of that together, that's how long it takes 
And uh, they just hop through all the bureaucracy with just simple web port. And it's, and man, it's the detractors of the system say, well, it's a joke or it's unregulated. Well, it's not really. And I've been involved in, in cannabis licensing in other states. If they asked all the same questions on the, the license, they just made it really easy for you to put in the information. So it seems like that they, why do you think that is? What's your impression of why Oklahoma's made it so easy? They well, seem- part of it is because Oklahoma is a business right state, a business first state, and the oil and gas and the ranching industry made it that way. But uh, for good or for bad, like you can pretty much go start up any business you want here. Nobody's going to give you hassle over it. People are going to support you with, there's very little like zoning or whatever. What about the price? So I mentioned that the, the land is relatively inexpensive. Is, is that is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, that's that, it, it is accurate. I would say that when we first got here, it was significantly more inexpensive than it is now. That was, we got here in 2018, now it's 2021. So, you know, prices have gone up substantially, maybe artificially inflated by the Russia COVID, but uh, we are seeing some turnover right now and the prices have begun to drop back down. There's a lot of failed farmers out there, a lot of people that came into the industry that wasn't really all it cracked up to be. And, you know, you know how it is. You start a new job, you think it's going to be change, you know, life-changing, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, actually, I'm allergic to wheat. I don't like to grow it, or I don't like to deal with people, or I thought this was going to be easier or harder or whatever you, you thought. And so people fall out. And right now there's a, a huge fallout of people in Oklahoma. So there's a, a, a lot of uh, assets up for sale. So what are what are some other very attractive things about Oklahoma? We mentioned that just the lack of government oversight, the relative ease of getting an operating license. What are some other things that are should would be attractive? Well, the packaging's a little bit easier to deal with, that's for sure. Meaning that it's not as many regulations about Yeah, especially on flour. You can be far more creative on how to package your cannabis. They don't quite uh, require you to have uh, child proof on your flour. On your edibles they do, but not on your flour. So, you know, that that's a that's a unique thing. Also with edibles, you can have up to a thousand milligrams in one package. So yeah, you get a big bang for your buck here on that. They still have pesticide regulations and laws and mold and mildew and yeast testing. That's a probably a good thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's still like safe cannabis for people to consume and smoke. The industry's all just getting started right now. So we're seeing, you know, this is year three. We're fixing to see this huge flood of cannabis from this perfect outdoor growing year we've had. We've also had all the people listening to my podcast and others podcast and reading the news coming down here from Oregon and Colorado and Washington and California. And I mean, you know, that's like all the experienced growers are. So they're they're changing the environment here substantially, and and the quality of cannabis is is going up because of that. But also the price ends up going down because there's a huge volume. Apparently, like if you can grow as much weed as you want, you literally grow as much weed as you can. <laughs> you grow you right know? to the fence, right to the line of the fence where your fence ends. Right to the line, right to the line. Like literally, the biggest worries of farmer outdoor and greenhouse farmers here are like, where am I going to dry it off? So I was going to ask that question. So as far as how it compares to like places like Humboldt, 
in part in the mountains of Colorado. How is the the land there for cultivating? Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's very diverse. Greenhouses, you can pretty much grow all over in the marginal areas. The pat this year was like Santa Barbara conditions where I am. Which is good. Yeah, it's great. Rain, it rained like once in two months towards the end of the year. We harvested our outdoor flower with, with mostly it not getting rained on at all. 90 degrees, 40% humidity, uh, light winds. But man, you know, you can have tornadoes here. There's 70 mile an hour winds and, you know, it'll get to 114 degrees, drop to 20% humidity, then get to 90 degrees and be 90% humidity. So it's this huge, like vast difference, but uh, it's really easy to grow weed in Northern California and in Southern Oregon. It doesn't often rain for months and months out of the year. It's perfect humidity. The temperature doesn't change so much from day to night. Like that is the standard, but uh, I tell you, man, it pretty good this year. And it was pretty good this year. We, we saw thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of like really, really Dank wheat. But all that being said, it's the growers that make it happen. And that's why Northern California and Oregon and Colorado, they have the best wheat because they have the experience of the growers and they know how to really make it happen. Some of them are coming down to Oklahoma now and, and sharing some of their secrets. Exactly. And now they're coming down to Oklahoma. They're bringing their people, they're bringing their techniques, they're bringing their genetics. And uh, that's what's going to change Oklahoma. It's going to, I mean, it is the Wild West. You said that at the beginning, but we're, we're, we will be one of the epicenters of ganja in the country soon. I know many people joke about it and whatnot, but man, just give it a couple more years and the dankest weed in the country will be growing. How receptive are the people of Oklahoma to this burgeoning industry in there? You know, it's a, it's a conservative state. It's a red state. But do you, do you sense there's like a cannabis culture growing there? There's a tolerance for cannabis there? It's different. Like everybody likes weed, man. even conservative people. Just because, you know, they go to church on Sunday doesn't mean they don't smoke weed before they go to church on Sunday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or like Friday night or on Monday afternoon or like. It isn't in for a long time it was, but as soon as it becomes legal, the like people's idea of it all changes. And now it's not against the law, so they don't care and they speak out like, oh, I might take a little puff now that it's legal. And that's because they've already been puffing, but they couldn't say anything to their friends and family. And so, you know, when when cannabis became legal for medicinal use here in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, three hundred thousand people went and got their cannabis card so they could purchase cannabis. Right. That's a little under 10 percent of the state immediately went and did that at that proportions. And that period of time is greater and faster than any other state that's come on legal. Right. So it's this interesting thing about like it being a red state or a free state or a conservative state. It is a green state state now. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's a green state. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Well, now the thing about Oklahoma is, and it's a wonderful, these, these opportunities, it's still a small market. I mean, I just looked it up. So there's, there's about 4 million people that live in Oklahoma. So that's like the size of Los Angeles, maybe, maybe smaller than Los Angeles, right? Uh, probably smaller than Los Angeles. So do you still sense, you know, you can grow all the cannabis you want, but you still, unfortunately, because of the because we're not federally legal yet, you can only sell that weed in Oklahoma. So is that a challenge? I mean, we have so much product and not a lot of people. Well, it's similar populations to Colorado in 2010, 12, 13, 14. 
it has a, also a large tourist industry. Oklahoma set up their cannabis laws so you can get a out-of-state cannabis license. So, Jonathan, what state are you calling from? California. Okay, we're, you're in California, so you could have a Cal, not, not that you would do this, but you could have a California medical cannabis license and apply for an Oklahoma temporary license. So that when you come in on vacation to go fishing, and man, Oklahoma has world-class fishing. It's incredible. Uh, paddlefish, striped bass, uh, brim, crappie, like world-class fishing here. So you can come here, and with your out-of-state medical ID, you can buy cannabis. Now, that being said, Dallas-Fort Worth is a city of 8 million people, and it's two hours away from Oklahoma City. Right. <laughs> That's true. So it's could still be, yeah, it's like going bridge and tunnel, they call it, right? Like you could just come. Yeah, there, there's more people coming over from Missouri and Arkansas to buy weed in Oklahoma because how much cheaper it is than you would think. It's like, oh, it's legal in their states. Like, yeah, but there's actually more variety because there's more participants in the system in Oklahoma. And it's cheaper because of that. Just right next door in, in Missouri and in Arkansas, I mean, three and $400 ounces are, are still reality. And in Oklahoma, they're like one and $200. So what are the challenges? So you've met, we've talked all about all the, the positives here. What are some of the things, if people are coming into the market there, that they will find maybe uh, difficult and hurdles? Well, there's been a, uh, there's a handful of demographics of people that come here. Now, all the cannabis people that were legacy farmers and wanted to get into legal cannabis or like kind of gotten in, they came to Oklahoma hoping that it was going to be, uh, you know, a way for their, to get their foot into the legal cannabis industry. A lot of those guys have just struggled with the business of it all. Cause that's, you know, 90% of it is, is keeping track of the money, paying the taxes, the brand, the selling that is 90% of it. And that's a hard thing for people to do, no matter who you are, or what industry is, you know, another thing you mentioned this earlier about cannabis cultures, there wasn't really much of a cannabis culture here. I mean, there were people doing it, but they were literally used to mostly Mexican or import cannabis. That was $40 an ounce and Brown and had seeds in it. So when they started up, like people didn't really know what they didn't know. They didn't know what great wheat was, right? They, they just, you know, had no idea that just because it said Kush on it, that they thought that was OG Kush. And they just didn't understand what quality product was. So there's big learning curve on that aspect because, you know, people were about failing upwards because they could grow whatever quality product and still sell it for good money initially. And now that there's more people in the marketplace, especially these more experienced growers that might not necessarily have the business fortitude, like they're growing better wheat. So that's a, honestly, it's this, we've seen quite a few people's like reality been shattered over what they thought their efforts and the quality of their wheat was because they didn't know any better. It's hard not to hurt someone's feelings like that, you know, when they put like all this time and effort and energy and, and it's just just not good. But they think it is because they've always sold it. They just don't know anybody. So like that, I mean, that honestly, that's one of the one of the biggest, biggest issues is people entering the marketplace here that have these, as we all do, these crazy ideas on cannabis and how we interact with it. And since they were new and it was legal, they could try all this stuff. But some of the stuff I might have tried when I was 13, for <laughs> instance. <laughs> right, right. Not not maybe the best, most 
most business savvy ideas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so a lot of heartbreak and associated with that. But I tell you, you know, as always, I've also seen the cannabis success. And that's what always fuels me is the people that come into the industry and they have an idea or they used to be a weed dealer, they are a weed dealer and they replicate what they've got. They work within their community and they make thriving businesses. Right. And that's always really cool to see. And yeah, there's 10,000 cannabis licenses here and there's thousands of dispensaries and there's some really good dispensaries here. Right. There's a lot of crap, but like, man, there's some people who really got it together and it's surprising where they came from. So it's well run. What makes the good dispensary there? Just well run. Yeah. Good. Well, from my perspective, it's a few different things. One is business to business side. Do they pay their bills? Do they call you back? Uh, how's their inventory control or inventory supply? Are they have the same employees? And then over time. And then from a consumer standpoint, it's okay. Do they curate the weed well enough? Do they have a rotating stock of, of flavors? Do they keep the shelf full? You know, do the bud tenders, you know, know my name after the third or fourth time I get, you know, show up there. And, uh, you know, it's most businesses are really run by the vibe of one or two people. and They set the things. And that is a big part of it. But it's that friendly nature that you always wanted from the pot dealer, not the guy who was or the girl who was making you feel like small or obligated or like, you know, it was just you were special to be able to even get some weed. Right. Now you, you in California, you might not have experienced a lot of this stuff that the, the rest of us in the country did where our only choice was, could you get it or not? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. It was like, it wasn't just wide open, you know, but no, but I mean, also dispensaries have changed radically in California. I mean, it used to be like barbed wire fence around them and, you know, like real seedy. And now the experience is very boutique. Big security guards. Yeah. And- Exactly. Yeah. And and they have, it's all types here. It's the chalkboard menu. I mean, one of my favorites is a chalkboard menu that changes out. Many people though, there's, there's such easily accessible technology they can integrate to the purchasing experience. And with the apps, the education's like more and more prevalent. All of that's going to change quickly here. This flood of weed is going to make only the best weed sells. The people that are smart are going to say, I'm going to grow the best weed so I can sell it. And then like, like as time goes on, that just keeps like perpetuating itself to where there's just like California, you can only sell the best wheat. We talked a lot about cultivation just as being, you know, that industry, that part of the industry. What other opportunities do you think are ripe for the picking in Oklahoma? We, we mentioned retail a bit with dispensaries. Is there, if you were an entrepreneur looking to come into Oklahoma, what, what would be some of the needs that you see that could be filled there? Well, you know, interestingly, the big part One of the big problems with Oklahoma that we didn't really discuss is employees and employment. There's no cannabis history here. So people aren't experienced. And like now they're starting to be experienced a little bit when they come to work for you, but mostly it's like they work some other career or job. So like that's, if you have any experience in the cannabis industry and you want something different, man, you can come get a job at your most ideal place in Oklahoma. If you're a ganja grower and you're working on a small operation and you want to go to a big operation, or if you're working on a big operation, want to go to a boutique operation, you can come here and do it. Cost of living is, man, it's just like probably like 50, 60% difference from where you are. Yep. <laughs> Can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Jonathan. And like where, you know, it's like 30, 40% difference from Colorado. 
So like you really do feel your money here. And, and, you know, I tell you, there's a lot of really cool things about Oklahoma is it's wide open spaces for sure. There, uh, Oklahoma city is one of the largest cities in the country. It's like 650 miles or something. It's huge. It's inexpensive to buy a home. You know, if you want to start a family, like you can go like get a nice home and a nice school system and be able to afford it. And maybe even be able to have a lake house and a boat because it's kind of inexpensive here, you know, and there's this huge quality of life that I see here where people take time off for themselves and their families. And like many businesses close at four o'clock. Many businesses aren't open on Mondays. Many businesses aren't open on the weekends. And, you know, coming from California, and, you know, it's 24-7. Business is 24-7. You are open seven days a week. You have to be. So so we think. That's great. And in terms of like the picks and axes, whenever we talk about rushes, you think, of, you know, who are the guys that are making the picks and axes? If you're not plant touching, you think there's a lot of opportunity there? Well, you know, that's my primary business with uh, Cultivate Colorado, Cultivate Garden Supplies. And uh, it's a hard industry to be in the picks and shovels right now. But the service industry may be a little different accountants, marketers, just office people, because every grow room, you have to have a compliance officer. You have to have someone in charge of that. You have to have bookkeepers and you, you know, you, you, you have to have management. Um, I mean, just like retail skill to go in like dispensaries. That's there's more dispensaries here than probably any place else in the country per capita. Like just having great customer service skills and retail skills. And you want to get and you know a little bit about weed like, you know, you'd be perfect bud tender. That's the perfect type of person. The person that's been in front of a house at a restaurant for a while, loves weed, knows about weed. Like you can come run a dispensary. It's those added skills. And the bud tenders really are one of the hardest things to come across because it's an entry-level position, but you really want a pro doing it. So in California and Colorado, you can get some pros and people who decide to make it their lives. But like, you know, currently there's no like training for it at all. And so, yeah, and bud tenders, I think that's great. If you want to get into the cannabis business, everybody's got this little fiery idea. Every time people smoke the joint, everybody, whoever smoked the joint, their whole, whole life has had some crazy idea that, you know, has contributed to them being stoned right there at that place in time. Man, we can make a million dollars doing this shit, you know, is how it rolls out. And, and it is true. And I've seen it done. And all those few of those ideas are going to actually work. But like some of them will, and some of them might spawn that second or third or fourth idea. Real estate is always the number one play in cannabis. Well, real estate and hard money. Those are the number one plays in cannabis. What do you mean by hard money? Hard money loans. You can do a handshake loan to people with high interest rates, right? Like that's how most of the cannabis community functions. And uh, most of that stuff is like short-term loans, you know, high interest rate. And it's really what has built most farms and throughout most cannabis farms throughout the country. Uh, and then real estate, just owning the warehouses and the industrial properties. And you're able to like get really solid customers, solid tenants that upgrade your property and pay you a premium to that. Usually once they build their operation out, they never leave. Well, I'm buying my ticket. I mean, you should work for the, you should work for the Oklahoma tourism commission if you don't already, cause you're, you're a very good, you're a very good tourist. Uh, you're a very good spokesperson for the state. Hey man, let me tell you this. It is gonna be hard for people to stay in the cannabis business this year the flood is real noah should be scared and we're gonna see it pan out it's gonna be like oregon was 17 or 
16 or, you know, whenever there was millions of pounds of weed, you know, in the marketplace and nobody to smoke it. And that's coming here soon too. It will flush out all of the people that weren't dedicated to it or couldn't be dedicated or just had bad luck, man. And the people that succeeded and had good luck and were able to like do it okay or well, they're going to pick up those assets. They're going to get bigger and better. Man, uh, true innovation can happen here, like without all the restrictions. I mean, we had an acre and a half of weed this year that we just abused just to see how far we could take it without watering it or feeding it. Or, and you'd be surprised at how much uh, abuse the right strains can take. But you can't afford to do that any place else. I mean, in California, you have to pay $160 a pound. Every time you harvest a pound of weed, you have to pay per square foot, in the, you know, your outdoor cultivation space. And then there's just so many costs that it, it doesn't allow for that research and development, that experimentation. Lots of ins, lots of outs. Well, Chip, this has been so fascinating. If people want to find out more about you, your services, where should they go? Man, I have a podcast called The Real Dirt Podcast. There will be to download. You can look us up at Cultivate Colorado or Cultivate Garden Supplies. And uh, as always, you know, on Instagram and Facebook, man, also under those seven names, Cultivate Colorado, Real Dirt Podcast. There it is, man. Jonathan, this was great, man. Uh, uh, you got me pumped up, man. I really enjoyed it. This was so fascinating. Thank you. I feel like I need to buy my ticket to Oklahoma soon. Oh, yeah. Come on out, dude. I tell you, the harvest season's just ending. But uh, next year, come out. Man, I mean, we literally help people grow over 30,000 pounds of ganja this year. I mean, acres and acres and acres and acres of just incredible weed. It was a lifelong dream to be able to like sit in a seven acre field of squirt or a five acre field of OG Kush and just like listen to the birds and smell the weed, man. Amazing. Chip, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, sure thing, Jonathan. Have a good afternoon, man. You too, man. Stay high. <laughs> All right, brother. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.